scripture reading for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. I invite you to follow along in your Bible or in the Pew Bible. I will be reading, as I usually do, from the New Revised Standard Version. So if you find your version is a little bit different, that may be why. Exodus 3, 1 through 10. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do me a favor, pull out your Connections journal. It's in your bulletin each week. It looks like this. You'll notice on the back is the events and happenings. But on this side is a guide for your prayer and study through the week. I've heard from several of you who've said thank you. It's very helpful. I'm encouraged by that. I hope that we would all use it. There are scripture readings for each day and questions for reflection. Please let this guide your quiet time with God each day, and I hope that it helps you to connect with God and follow on the theme that we're talking about each Sunday morning. My friends, God has a dream for your life. God has a dream for your life, and it is probably bigger than you ever imagined. Welcome to week three of our sermon series we're calling Dare to Dream. Together we are dreaming with our eyes open discovering a God-sized mission for our lives. In Washington, D.C., there's a highly effective pastor by the name of Mark Batterson. And in one of his books, Mark Batterson talks about the dreams that God wants to give us. And he says this, If you've never had a God-sized dream that scared you half to death, then you haven't really come to life. If you've never been overwhelmed by the impossibility of your plans, then your God is too small. You see, if you're doing it right, your dream will be so big that you cannot possibly accomplish it except with God's help. Otherwise, your dream is just too small and too safe and too reasonable. Because God has a big dream for you. God has a big dream for you, just like God had for Moses. You probably know the story. Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He was near Mount Oreb. By the way, Mount Oreb was called the mountain of God. And it's easy to see why. This is the mountain where Moses would strike the rock and out would flow living water. Uh, this is the mountain where God would deliver to the Israelites the Ten Commandments. 
And now this is the mountain where God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And the story says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush, and Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, and yet it was not consumed. In other words, the bush was on fire, but the branches, the leaves of the bush, were not actually burning up. That'd be enough to get our attention, right? It got Moses' attention. And I want to talk with you about his encounter with the living God. But before we get just into the depth of that conversation, I want you to notice something about the fire itself. Chemistry and physics have taught us something about the basics, uh, the basic properties of fire. Specifically, the requirements for fire to exist. Before ignition can happen, before combustion can take place, there are three elements required. I wonder if you know what they are. If you've ever been trained as a firefighter, you probably got this on day one, and it's referred to sometimes as the fire triangle. A fire requires three things. Do you know what they are? Heat, oxygen, and fuel. Heat, oxygen, and fuel. So with that in mind, think again about the burning bush. The story says the bush was blazing, and yet it was not consumed. In other words, the fire was not using any fuel. A typical fire would have been using the bush as fuel, right? But not this fire. So why not? What's, what's going on here? This is a self-sustaining fire. You see, there are, there's a theological implication to this, this chemistry reality about this fire. There's no fuel that is needed because God Himself provides all the fuel. And we're reminded that God needs nothing outside of God's self in order to burn in the presence of Moses. My friends, this is the power of the God who we worship. And so no wonder God told Moses to remove your sandals. The place on which he was standing was holy ground. And why is that? Because the rocks and the dirt in that place were sacred somehow? No, because he was in the presence of the living God. He was in the presence of the living God, and that is what makes that place holy. Let us never forget that the God we worship is holy and powerful and self-sustaining. Taking off our shoes reminds us that we are encountering the living God who is awesome and life-changing. And it seems to me it's much easier to dream big when we remember and realize just how big God is and how big God's dreams are for our lives. God said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And the story says that Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Moses understood instinctively something that would be later clarified in the Scriptures that God is so holy, so big and powerful, so other, that we cannot look directly at God and expect to live through the experience. There is something terrible, something beyond us, something overwhelming about being in the presence of the living God. And yet... And yet, in God's grace, God comes close to Moses. God reveals this plan for Moses' life. God wants to use Moses for God's own purposes. And God says from within the bush, Moses, the cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. God was calling 
Moses. And we're going to spend some more time talking about that call next week. But for now, just understand, God was calling Moses to something big. Something bigger than Moses had ever imagined for his own life. You see, up to that point, Moses was just living in his own little world. He was in a stage of life that we might call empire building. He was doing things his own way. He was living for himself. You probably know the story of Moses. He was born a Hebrew slave. But at that time, the Pharaoh had issued an order to kill all of the male Hebrew babies. Pharaoh feared the Hebrews becoming too populous and too powerful. So in order to save him, Moses' mother put him in a basket and placed him in the reeds of the Nile River. And it was there that Pharaoh's daughter found him along the shore and adopted him as her own. And from an early age, Moses was consumed by his role as the prince of Egypt. He didn't care so much about God's kingdom. He wanted to build his own kingdom. We see that kind of living all around us, don't we? We point the, uh, the finger at, at people like uh, Jerry Jones or uh, Kim Kardashian or Oprah. And we say, oh, look at how selfish they are. You know, they build vast empires dedicated to themselves. But we all do it, don't we? <laughs> we may just do it on a smaller scale than Oprah does, but we all do it. And we're driven by the two A's of empire building. Appetite and approval. Appetite is all about what I want. Oh, I want that car. I want that hunting rifle. I want that cute girlfriend. Appetites focus on accumulating all the right stuff in life as if those things will somehow satisfy and bring us purpose. The second A is approval. And we often seek the approval of others rather than of God. We all want to be liked, of course. We all want to be included. But sometimes we're a little too concerned with what the cool kids think. The prayer of empire building, the prayer of appetite and approval is God bless me. God bless me. God bless me with a good life. God bless me with a good job. God bless me with a healthy family, and on and on. Now it's true, God bless me prayers aren't all bad. But if we're honest, we might say that much of the time these prayers are driven more by building our own empire than by building God's kingdom. And so if stage one is God bless me, then stage two is God save me. God save me. This is what happens when we actually get all those things we've been striving after, the nice car, the good job, the beautiful spouse, and we realize those things don't actually satisfy us after all. This is what we might call disillusionment. We face a crisis in our lives and we realize the foundation that we've built for ourselves doesn't actually work to sustain us in the long run. For Moses, disillusionment came when he murdered an Egyptian and he had to run for his life and he went from prince of Egypt to simple shepherd almost overnight. In the United States, in this day and age, we sometimes call this a, a midlife crisis, right? You've been married for a while and marriage is great, but you realize, you know, gosh, it's not as exciting as it was when we were dating. Or you finally get that perfect job you always wanted in, and a few weeks in or a few months in, you realize, uh, it's not so perfect after all. There's some problems with this job too. Or you get sick. Or someone you love dies. And it's at this point our prayer changes from God bless me to God save me. God 
save me. And strangely enough, it's at that point that we become most open, most receptive to the work of God in our hearts. When we are most disillusioned with ourselves, when we are at that crisis point, we realize we have nowhere else to turn, and hopefully we turn to God. And God is there in His grace, like the prodigal father standing on the porch, waiting for us with open arms and saying to us, My child, I love you. Welcome home. Welcome home. As we experience this grace of God and as we begin to grow up in our faith, we begin to understand that the essence of the life of a disciple is service. Not about what others can do for me, but what about I can do for others. And so we see that if the prayer of empire building is God bless me, and the prayer of disillusionment is God save me, then the prayer of the mature disciple is God use me. God use me. Go back with me to the moment when Moses saw the burning bush. Moses said, I must turn aside and see this great sight. I must turn aside. I've got to stop what I'm doing and turn around and look at what is happening right here. For Moses, this was a pivotal moment, a moment of turning, a moment of change, which we all need, right? There's a theological word that we give to this idea. We call it repentance. Repentance. It is the acknowledgement of our sin and our brokenness and of our need for God. Repentance literally means to turn around, to go the other way, to turn away from the old life, from empire building, from focus on self, and instead to turn toward the will of God. Now, that's hard to do. Hard because we are stubborn. Yes, we like to do things our way. But also hard because God's will can seem elusive. Hard to grasp. It's mysterious. How do I know what God's will is for me? I want to suggest to you it's not because God is withholding information from you just to try to make your life harder. And yet we realize neither does God hand us over a stack of plans like architectural drawings and say, here you go, here's the plan for your life, good luck, you know, see you later, maybe. Here's the thing about God's plan for your life. God's plans for your life are not separate and apart from God's role in your life. What God wants most from you is a relationship. And what we find is that God begins to reveal God's dreams for us in the context of that relationship. What this means is you and I have to stop treating God like a cosmic vending machine where we can just push a button and get what we want from God. God desires a relationship with us. Like Moses, we have to turn aside. We have to repent and stop our own way and pay attention to what God is doing, what God is saying to us. Because if we pay attention, we may just have a burning bush moment. We will experience the call of God to be in mission in the world. I've heard so many Christian people say they're unsure about their call or they're afraid, well, maybe I missed it. Did I somehow miss it? My friends, do not worry. Do not worry because God is persistent. God always gets what God wants eventually. And so God will keep calling 
and calling and calling. It's like a fire that will not burn out. When God calls and you respond, it's like a fire in you that will not burn out. What is the fire that burns inside of you? What is the dream from God that just won't go away no matter how many times you've said no to it? Maybe it's bringing hope to our youth. Maybe it's offering comfort to older people. Maybe it's practicing compassion with immigrants in this country. Maybe it's teaching the Bible to children. Whatever it is, I hope that there is a fire inside of you that will not burn out. And if not, my friends, it's time to see what else God can do in your life. We've got a picture I want to show you this morning. This is from the Olympics. This photo went viral last month. Maybe you saw it already. I wonder if you can tell what's happening in this picture. This is at the Olympic lap pool in Rio. And believe it or not, they actually have a lifeguard on duty at the Olympics at the lap pool. As if Katie Ledecky or Michael Phelps might need help, you know, with swimming. Uh, if you have ever felt unproductive in your work, my friends, take heart. Just look at this young lady. Uh, she's bored out of her mind. She can't believe she has to sit there and uh, save no one from drowning because these are the world's best swimmers. Uh, she obviously does not have a fire burning inside of her to be the lifeguard at the Olympic pool. And who can blame her, right? Who can blame her? There's, there's nothing to do there. Thankfully, there is more to life. There is so much more that God wants to give us. God wants to give us passion. God wants to give us desire. And when your life is centered in this kind of passion, you realize that nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy you. So pay attention. Pay attention because God may just give you a burning bush moment like He did for Moses. You see, God shows up in our lives and gives us this God-sized mission, and God invites us to live the dream. So if you listen, you may hear God calling. Not necessarily with words, but through prayer and through Bible reading, through worship and through conversations with your friends and family. You can sense the fire of the Holy Spirit burning. You can sense God calling you to the life of Christ. I have a friend named Bryant. For as long as I've known Bryant, he's been on fire for Jesus Christ. He practices an awareness of the presence of God in his life, unlike most of the people that I know. Uh, he studies the Scriptures. He talks to God throughout his day. And sometimes God talks to him. Bryant has his own business. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's a small business owner. He's a tile man. He lays ceramic tile. And he does it for bathrooms and kitchens. You know, you get the idea. Well, one year when I was in college, it was Christmas break, and Bryant hired me to be his helper. And can I tell you, I've never worked so hard in my life. Uh, I had to be at his house at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we worked until well past dark every day. Uh, one night, it was like 2 in the morning when we finally finished, uh, and my mom was really worried. This was the day before cell phones, if you can remember back that far. Um, so uh, I'm so thankful that I don't have to work as hard as Bryant, that I have this sort of phony baloney job where I get to, you know, read the Bible and, and preach to you, and, and I get paid for it, if you can believe that. So uh, we were working together, uh, and I would ride around with Bryant in his pickup truck, and he would tell me stories. And one of my favorite stories was about a tile job that he did, unlike any other job 
he had ever done. Some years previous to that, he was traveling to a job and he was driving down the road. And as he's driving in his pickup truck, he felt this compulsion to just turn and look out the driver's side window. And he turned and looked, and as, as he looked, he saw this little church. And he, well, he sort of thought, that's strange, but he kept on going with his day. And later that day, he was traveling down the same road again, and again he felt compelled, this time, look out the other side of the truck. And there, again, was that little church. And he thought, that, that's strange. I don't know what that's about. So he went on with his day, and the next day, he was driving down the same street. And this time, as he's going down the road, he felt his head being physically turned, as if someone was laying their hand on it and pushing his head to the side. And he looked out the window, and there was that same church. And he thought to himself, well, this is too much. You know, this is ridiculous. Are you kidding me? So he pulled into the parking lot, and he walked up to the front door of the church, and he knocked on the door. And a sweet lady came to the door of the church, and she greeted him, and he said, uh, Ma'am, how you doing? Um, I'm not really sure why I'm here, uh, but my name is Bryant, and God sent me to your church. And the woman looked at him exactly the way that you would expect her to, having heard this kind of greeting from a stranger. She was confused. She didn't know what this was all about, and so they just sort of stood there staring at each other for a moment. And Bryant realized that she wasn't going to say anything else. So he said, is there something that I can do for you, ma'am? And the woman said, oh, yes, sir. You know, we can always use prayer here at our church. And you know, we can always use help with our ministries. And he interrupted. He said, no, ma'am, you don't understand. Uh, you see, I'm a tile man. I lay ceramic tile. And now the look on the woman's face was as if she had witnessed something supernatural. The look went from confusion to amazement. She said, we have a feeding ministry here at our church. We feed homeless people, and our food pantry is the difference between people who would be fed and those who would go hungry, but our kitchen is falling apart. And the city inspector was here last week, and he said, if we don't put in a new kitchen floor, they're going to shut us down. God sent Bryant to that church to give them a new kitchen floor. This was a burning bush moment. May God give each of us a burning bush moment, and may we be ready for it when it happens. As we prepare our hearts for this feast of Holy Communion, I invite you to turn in the hymnal to page 13. <clears throat> 